Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook with Brent Pasqua, Matthew Thiel, and Joshua Winterswijk from RPA Wealth Management. In this podcast, we cover current events, retirement planning strategies, and provide you with the tools to help you build a successful retirement playbook in any political or financial landscape. Join Brent, Matthew, and Joshua as they navigate the issues that can make the later stages of your retirement plan challenging and help you create the best retirement plan playbook. Now, let's get to the show. Well, welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm your host, Brent Pasqua. I'm the founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here with Matthew Thiel, who is a certified financial planner, and Joshua Winterswijk, certified financial planner. Today, we're going to talk about buying a house, whether you're younger, older, retired, looking to retire. You know, what does the housing market look like right now? Um, obviously, with interest rates rising so rapidly, Uh, I think a lot of people's first thought was with interest rates going up, the housing market would fall very quickly. You know, in a lot of people's mind, they thought maybe the the housing market might fall 20 or 30% this year. That hasn't happened. The rates are exceptionally higher. So we'll talk about a little bit about is it a good time to buy or not? Why don't you give us your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I'm just going to come out and say it's an awful time to buy a house right now. There probably hasn't been a worse time in the last 25 years to purchase a house than right now. Uh, I do think there's, you know, groups of people that could make the argument that right now is a good time to buy a house because their time their time period perspective is going to be long enough. But in general, you know, for everyday people, for speculation, um, or if you're trying to move or you don't really need to buy a house and you want to do it because you think it's what you're supposed to do as a person, it's never been a worse time to do it. Uh, I have a lot of reasons why. I will just, you know, just throwing that out there. But I guess then when is the right time because what would happen next year that makes it a better time to buy so i i think you got to take a look at what's going on in the economy right now and number one we're having bank failures right because interest rates have gone up so much and josh uh, just to kind of pull you in what what's that stat what's the average payment gone up to because because i know housing prices have slightly declined on a year-over-year basis Uh, i don't think it's been a big decline but they have gone down but what's the the average payment gone up the average payment has gone up 93 percent so the average housing payments increased by 93 percent but housing prices are slightly down to flat. Yes. So that means you could probably afford a lot less house than you could afford from most of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. All that's because correct. interest rates have gone up. That's correct. And and prices haven't gone down. I think that's what makes this time so unique. It makes it a bad time. I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here about buying a home. But that's why it makes it more unique is because you would assume with housing or with housing and prices, interest rates going up, there would be a larger adjustment to actual housing prices, and it's only down about 13%. We still have a lot of clients that are selling their home in California as they've sort of transitioned to retirement or they're getting closer or they've been in retirement for a few years where they've still been able to sell their home right now, and then they go to another state and buy a new build for full cash. They just put a cash offer out and say, sell their home and they pay cash for the home. And they're in a great position to live comfortably in a brand new home where they've been living in their home for 20 plus years. Yeah. That's awesome. That's an, that's one of the um, categories of people that I think it makes sense for. 
sell your home in California for a million bucks. You know, maybe you have all that million in equity. Maybe you have 800, whatever it is. You go buy a new build, Florida, Nevada, Arizona, you know, wherever it is you want to live. Um, you punk and you don't take a loan. But that situation has to be, I mean, right for you. You know, if you're in California, you would assume though, maybe you have kids in California, family in California, like that strategy isn't right for everyone. And maybe if it is, you know, you're more looking to downsize or just move to a different location now that you're in retirement, you know, that option isn't there for you. It's a great way, though, to position yourself if it does make sense for you, because if you've been living in your house for that long, chances are, unless you've been doing a lot of upgrades or upkeep to your house, that the house is probably in a position where it needs fixing. And right now, I mean, that's really expensive to come by. I mean, cost of construction hasn't gone down very much. We're experiencing that as we work on the office in Claremont. So the cost is still really high. But if, let's say, you know, you retired at 65 and you can get into a brand new house, that house is going to be set for you for the rest of your life. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense for someone who could trade their California home and get to a lower cost state to absolutely do that and not take a take a loan out. But if you have to take a loan out right now, um, like Josh said on the payment side, there's never been a worse time to do it. I mean, even taking a two hundred and fifty or $300,000 loan out is going to cost you probably three to four grand a month all in. Right. So let's say you were thinking about selling your home in California and then buying a new build in California. And let's say you owed 300000 on your existing home and you were going to have to get a new loan on on the new build for 300000 even if it was an even swap, your payment's going to go up tremendously. Yes. It, depending on where your rate was. I mean, if you got the lowest rate possible, like Joshua, it's up 96%. And I feel like most people refi in the last three to five years. Yeah, so they have low rates. Yes. It's the no-brainer move to refi. Yeah, I think 90% of like mortgages are, are under the current rate right now. You're seeing, you know, almost everybody has a rate around three or 4%, not at the new five, six, 7%. So it's not a like to like switch. Right. So that new house is going to cost you a lot more money. Yes. The interest rates have gone up so much that you can, if you have enough money, if you have, you know, half a million, a million bucks in cash, um, you know, not everybody has that. So that's a lot of money. I don't want to come off as tone deaf, but if, if you have that, you could buy a U.S. Treasury bond right now and set up set up a bond portfolio that would just pay your mortgage for you if you're under three and a half percent. You could completely arb your mortgage away. You could if you did have that cash. Yeah, it's so crazy. If you want to be in a position to sell your house and buy a new house, and you're going to need a, a loan, when are you thinking about doing that? Are you thinking year, two, three years? I mean, how long are you going to wait? Well, so that's one of the reasons why I think it's a really bad time right now is, um, you know, I'm not a mortgage professional, but everything going on in the banking industry seems to lead that there's going to be a massive contraction in credit handed out. And what they call that is a credit crunch. And essentially that means it's going to be very, very difficult for people to get loans. And as credit leaves the economy, the economy is going to slow and we're going to have a recession. And what's going to happen is if you aren't a top-tier candidate for a home right like uh, what, what do they call it josh on the lending side i, I want to call it like triple a but yeah like a tier one like a, a tier one candidate mm-hmm. tons of cash high income easily can make the house payment yeah you're 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 the highest qualified applicant right you're probably not going to get approved for a loan right now 
And it's probably going to take at least a year or two for this kind of credit crunch situation to sort itself out. So you're meaning they will literally not get approved or they're just going to have to pay a much higher rate to get approved? It's going to be very hard to get approved. I, I, I kind of disagree here. And the only reason why I say that is because like even new build builders right now have some inventory and they're making concessions on their own rate when they do their own financing to get people into these homes. Just think some of that will normalize. I do believe that with a credit crunch, it's going to be harder, right? You can't have poor credit. You can't have no money down, you know, with all these programs that are out there and everyone's able to buy a home like it was, you know, three years ago. I definitely think that that is changing. So you're going to have to do a lot of more homework and work on yourself and your financial situation to qualify. But I also don't think that it's going to be, you know, slim pickings and they're going to be only handing out mortgages to certain people. So I bought my, I bought my house during 2020. There was a mini credit crunch going on during 2020 because of obviously coronavirus. Housing prices were going up, which made it easy to buy a home, but there was low inventory and lenders had very high standards. At that time, for us to get approved for a loan, we needed you couldn't buy a house unless you're putting down 20%. No one would no one would write you a loan. It depends on the price point, though. That's true, because it was jumbo. Yeah, but it, everything I mean, is jumbo in California. Yeah, but jumbo rates are, and conforming rates are also going up. I just want to make sure the listener knows that depending on the price point, that could not be as applicable to them. True. But we also had to have 12 months of our payment in cash. So you had to have 20% down payment plus 12 months of whatever your monthly payment was going to be in cash. So if your payment's five, five grand, it's 12 times five, you need to have in a bank account somewhere, plus the 20% down. Yeah, they call it reserves. Yes. Yeah, the, reserve, the reserves were high. So really what I'm saying, it's a bad time to buy. Like if you don't need to buy a house right now, wait it out. When do you wait it out till? Until you could afford what you want. I think that that's, that's the point I'm looking at is like when I look at buying houses and I agree right now it's just such a volatile time with the banking crisis and rates going up. We actually don't know what's going to happen with rates, right? Like the federal reserve was pretty dovish. We only had a 25 basis point hike. Like what's to happen next? So if you are looking right now and jumping into a situation, there's just so many like variables that we can't really solve for or control. It's difficult. But I also think that like if you've been prepping and you can't afford it, you're going to stay in that home for 10 years. You can get approved, right? You're happy about being in that home. You're stable professionally and financially. Like, when's the best time to buy a house? You know, when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah, Brent, I guess talk to the listeners a little bit about why we made the decision to buy this office, right? Because on paper, it probably didn't look like a great time, right? You know, we're in the industry. We, we kind of see the trends going on in commercial real estate. But I, I feel like this was the perfect office for us, right? Yeah, so I guess, you know, when you think about it, a lot of what you're hearing right now is that commercial real estate is probably what the next domino to fall. Absolutely. So we could have probably been buying right at the peak and we knew it probably didn't make a ton of sense from a number standpoint the way we were able to gauge it was we knew that we needed more space so that was most important price per square foot in leasing office space is very expensive and when we started calculating out what our payment would be our payment versus when leasing would be very similar to if we had purchased um, even though we know rates were still pretty high we obviously knew the calculation and we you know there's a tax deduction from owning. So that was a major factor when looking at, but the biggest factor to all of that was what did the property actually mean to the business? How much benefit do we get from it just being a property that we're able to operate from by 
We have visibility now. We have a spot where we can tra- be planted for a long period of time. We're in an area that we wanted to be in for a very long time. We have a lot more things that we can do with clients in this space. So from a business perspective, it brought a lot of value to us. And I think that's what you're talking about for individuals. When you're thinking about them buying a home, you know, maybe it is that new area. Maybe it is more expensive, but it's the area closer to their grandkids. Or it's in an area where they want to actually be in. Or maybe it's near the beach where they've always wanted to be or they worked hard in. There's more value to it than just about the money factor. Absolutely. It's happiness, right? It's almost just instability in, in planting your seeds, like you're saying. Um, and I think that, you know, with rates being so volatile and like Matt had mentioned, and this is making this such a difficult time, but you're still always going to date the rate, right? We've had Kelly on that said yeah. date the rate, you know, buy the home. And that's still pretty applicable to right now. Yeah, you can always refi out of it. I, I guess, though, too, what people need to, to realize is you might not be able to afford what you thought you could afford. Absolutely. And that's going to be tough. So the other way to look at it is to think of these next five years as if you really got to get in a property, if you want to maybe improve your life or you need an extra bedroom because you had a new kid, buy something that you could just kind of step up to and you don't have to get the dream house today. Buy the dream house five years from now, six years from now. Josh, talk to us about how you used your condo, then you moved to Claremont and how that worked out for you. Yeah, in in just my personal story, you know, that it's that stepping stone approach where, you know, my first home when I bought it wasn't a home, it was actually a condo and it was very affordable. I ran the, you know, my finances, made sure I was in line with all of our normal affordability rules of thumb to where I knew that I could not only still save, but I could also, you know, enjoy life and not be house broke. And what that essentially did was elevate me into our new home and I built some equity in there. And, you know, this is obviously a common strategy that Americans use. Um, But I think what I've learned is it's very important to really understanding all of the cost when it comes to these types of mortgage transactions. And even when you're stepping up to a bigger property and still maintaining within like your affordability ratios, I don't think enough people, when you go into this situation or with housing, they just go into the mortgage um, broker's office and say, how much mortgage can I afford? And, you know, they're going to give you the max amount you can afford without actually understanding, like, relative to your income and the rest of your financial life of really how much is affordable to you. I think that's just my advice through this is, like, you really have to do your homework if you're going to go into the biggest financial decision you're ever going to make, whether if it's in retirement or even if you're just starting out and really understanding that affordability ratio for yourself. Yeah, for sure. And the, you know, you make a great point because like the realtor doesn't have your back. No, not at all. They're going to tell you to buy the most expensive property out there. And you'd hope, and, and I, I shouldn't say not at all. You would hope that they have some sort of thought with, within your like own financial situation to give you good advice about affordability. But what like we've seen a lot of realtors don't. Yeah. Like they, you know, they get paid on commission. The bigger, the bigger you buy, the more they get paid. I think, too, uh, one problem that people can lead into is if you're in the market to buy a home, you're always then looking for what's coming on the market. And at that point, like sometimes that perfect property doesn't come on the market and you just end up settling for a property that you're going to live in for the next 10 years and you literally just settled. But if you're prepared right now in this type of market to jump on something, you're like you said, do you want the ultimate happiness at the end of the day? Like you got to be looking for a long time to find and know exactly what you want because the realtors may talk you into a property. 
you may not find exactly what you're looking for because there's not a lot of inventory. Sure. And then you're settling and you probably, that's the worst thing I think you could probably end up doing. That's a great point. Yeah. You do not want to settle because we talked about it. You got to stay in the home for 10 years for it to actually be worth it for you to purchase. So if you're not doing that and you're not completely happy with this next decision, like you're going to regret it and you're going to, it's a bad financial decision and it could set you back. Yeah. And to add to that point, you know, make sure you're on like a Redfin or a Zillow and you're getting the, you set up those daily emails based on what you're looking for in your dream house. And the one thing I learned a lot when my wife and I were looking for our house is like size matters. And there's a really big difference between like a 1200 square foot home up to like just adding that extra 500 square feet to get it like to 17 or 1750. It feels like a completely different home. So that's, that'll just come with experience as you're looking on Redfin or Zillow. And like, you know, some people who are listening to this who are retirees actually might want to go the other way. They might have that two, 3000 square foot home right now where they want to drop it down to somewhere around the 15 to 17 range. Cause they don't need all the space now that the kids are all gone. I guess what I don't understand though, is if, housing prices just absolutely skyrocketed during COVID and the demand was just through the roof and prices still haven't came down very much, but now rates are that much higher. Like you talked about where payments are 90 plus percent higher than before. Mm-hmm. Like what something has to give because who can afford all this? Like at what point does housing prices come down or rates come down? Something has to give. Well, housing, nobody's gonna get it. Yeah, ha- housing prices have bended a little bit, but have not broken because it was a completely seller's market. And now you're seeing sellers making concessions, upgrading houses. It wasn't just like I put my house on the market and it yep. sold the next day. Right. Like that, that is not the market we're in anymore. But I think that like going forward, that's going to change. It, we already see it. It's changed a little bit. There has been a 14% drop in the housing prices. But you're right, Brent. That's my concern is which one of these things is going to break, not just bend. Or just is what Matt says is no, very few people are going to qualify. And right. then what happens? I mean, inventory is just so low. I mean, it, anything that's a rare asset, the price isn't going to drop that much if there's not a lot of it available right. for sale. So that's really probably why housing hasn't dropped. I mean, there's areas, you know, let's look at, let's pick on Texas a little bit. Like the Texas real estate market isn't doing that good. I believe it's down double digits from its highs. Well, they also Uh, had more growth in our area, right? Right. But I mean, they're building houses left and right in Texas. So they they don't have a supply issue there. It depends on the area. Right. Exactly. I I think that I get a lot. I get a lot of this too, like at family parties and friends parties of like, when's the, when's the housing market going to crash? But like in our area, I mean, there's a scenario where, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, you know, you could be waiting a very long time. You've already been waiting, right? And, and it hasn't crashed. And even with this, if rates come down, we can be in a scenario where, you know, 14% drop in is the largest drop we're ever going to see for the next 5, 10 years. So let's say you sold your property during COVID. You took your cash, you're sitting on your cash in a savings account with a decent interest rate, and you're waiting to go buy the perfect home. You're renting right now. Is is there a time? What do you do at that point? Keep renting. From keep a, looking and keep renting, or you're just renting. I would just keep renting. I mean, from an affordability standpoint, like you made your trade. Now you got to sit through it. I keep looking. Me too. I I would keep looking. I would keep renting, and I don't think that there is anything wrong with renting as long as you're still able to live the life you want and you're still able to save. I will say that. 
But I would say you always should be looking if you're if you have the goal that you want to eventually buy again. Right. I mean, um, you never know, you know, when that perfect home is going to come on the market. Yeah, I'm on your track. I would I would keep renting and I would be looking I would be month to month on my rent Mm -hmm. and then I would be looking for that perfect home to come on the market. Mm-hmm. And just be ready to jump when it happened. And you actually could end up liking renting. I know there's like a lot of bad segment about like renting, but like, look, you have no maintenance. It's probably cheaper than your overall cost of like having a mortgage and having a home. And like, if you wanted to move tomorrow or next year, you could without like the thought of I'm going to lose on this real estate transaction or deal. Right. It gives you some flexibility. So I don't want to completely knock like renting either. Like I, I agree. Renting's great. I, you know how many lists of projects I have to do at my house that I'm not doing because they cost multiples thousand like a like a thousand dollars here a thousand dollars there that adds up and then it makes me mad yeah like you know like right now I need some landscaping done in my backyard I keep looking at my backyard and I'm like pissed off like yeah. oh, she was just done yeah you gotta just do it I know I gotta do it I'm gonna do it before we have the lots summer of contacts for you I know I gotta do it before the summer you Matt you one last question on this you looked at a lot of houses during COVID so many and then you settled on one. Did you buy the perfect house or did you just settle with what you could get at that time? So that's a good question. Um, we saw a lot of houses and I actually think we got a really good house for us. Like we, we definitely didn't settle. There was homes we looked at where if we bought, we would have been settling. But our, ho- our house is permanent at 1750, but it's really a, above 2000 square feet. It has a backyard. My daughter complained. You know, we locked in a low mortgage rate. There, there's ways to improve the property. So it's not like it's the perfect property, but you know, you could remodel things here and there and make it your own. And it wasn't like a freshly flipped property, which was really big during COVID. A lot of people were, were flipping homes, putting them on the market five months later, six months later. And you know, those all look pretty generic um, and they all have a lot of flaws. Right. And you guys put a lot of offers on properties and then finally hit on one, right? Yeah, we put multiple offers on a lot of properties, and, you know, I'm happy. We're in a good neighborhood. There's tons of kids. Um, it's going to be a good spot to raise my daughter. And, you know, if not, we probably bought close enough to L.A. where we could always trade down and come more this way along the 210 closer to Claremont, and it'll be a, an easier trade for us, kind of like how, like, a retiree could trade down. Like, we could also trade down. For summary, for me, I think when I think about the housing market and where it's at right now, at least for the, for this time period, I think if you're retiring or retired and you're looking to get a brand new house, you don't have a mortgage on your property on your current house, or maybe it's a low and you can go in all cash on a new build or something newer. I think right now is still a very good time. You're just looking out for the best and for the best property for you. I think if you're a person who's younger who's looking to buy a, a property. I think you just have to have your eyes open right now. You're looking for the perfect property. It has to make the most sense that you're going to be happy, for, like you said, for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're renting, you're doing the same thing. You're looking for the perfect property, but you're comfortable renting month to month and just waiting this out and see when, what happens. Yep. And continue to save with your last two. Great summary, but the last two. you know, Continue to save, take advantage of some higher cash management tools, and great summary. I think it's wrapped up great. Any, any final thoughts on the housing market, Matt? No, I mean, now's the time where before you even reach out to a realtor, you should be probably just reaching out to a lender and, and getting an honest take on what you can get. Because the lender at the end of the day, they're most likely not going to tell you something that they can't get approved. You, you can't get approved for, and this is going to be the most important. That's the, what's most important right now is actually getting the loan if you need it. And talking to your financial advisor. Yeah, because then they'll tell you if what the lender is telling you you could actually afford. Yep.
Let's get into some headlines. I feel like the last month has been the best headlines we've had since we've had the podcast. I mean, there's just so many headlines to pick from. Why don't you give us some of what the headlines are right now? Yeah, so I guess we'll start with the big one. Fed meeting last week, they raised interest rates uh, 0.25%, new high range of 5%. Um, like we said on the last podcast, you know, with this banking crisis, the Fed has their back to the wall. 6% inflation is not good. Banking crisis is not good. What did they do? They chose to keep raising rates. Banking crisis is most likely here to stay. One thing they did do is they hinted that it might be their last hike. So we might be done with interest rates raising going higher. That said, there's going to be a massive contraction of credit. And like I feel like we've been sitting around waiting for this recession to start. We've been talking about it since early last year. I think our first podcast goes back, preparing for the recession, what to do if you retire during a recession. Right. Like we've been talking about it for a long time. We like have. If you're a retiree, go listen to those episodes because the recession, the crisis is here. Yeah, and I think that Jerome Powell's comments were were very you know dovish, and he came out and said that banking concerns shouldn't be as great as they're making them out to see. Like the banking industry is still pretty strong, so we'll see how this turns out over the next few weeks through this crisis and these headlines. To go back to your point, Brent, though, too, a lot of headlines, so much news to decompress right now. It's like making me go crazy. It's fun. <laughs> it doesn't feel like the banking crisis is over. It feels like it's just beginning. It it doesn't feel like Silicon Valley Bank was the start and the end. It feels like these dominoes are just going to keep happening. They're trying to figure out what the contagion really is, right? If some of these banks overlap, and I think that we'll obviously know more in the next few weeks. We'll also know more, to, you know, the next time the Federal Reserve meeting happens. Also, my feeling, in my opinion, is. If we're looking at some optimism is this could be somewhat of like the beginning of the end. We were in this kind of rut and this type of economy for a long time. I'm waiting for something to change. Um, and this could be the event that that changes. Oh, see, I completely disagree. These regulators, they're just going to kick the can down the road just like they did in 2008. They're just going to change the rules, keep kicking the can down the road and it'll go on. I don't think so. <laughs> for how long? Um, until it doesn't work anymore. No, I think we're kind of talking about two different things. Though. Oh, okay. You know, just economic cycle, right? Like we, oh. we've been trending down. Right. This is the event that maybe like propels us. I mean, market returns all poor last year. Yes, we've had some recovery since October, but like inv- as an investor looking forward, like is this finally an event that is going to bring some like recovery and growth? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you've, you've actually already seen it in the market. You know, tech stocks have been leading. I think the NASDAQ's up like 12, 15, 17, one of yeah, those double no, no, digits no. per cents this year. So, so positive there, but it sounds like you have a bad taste in your mouth right now with uh, banking and, and, and regulators. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other headline that's in the news right now, it's, and it, I'm glad it's coming up because it's an issue that we've met with a handful of high income earners that have recently graduated college. And they're all not making payments on their student loans. And to, for us, like we're, we're used to making payments on our debt. Mm-hmm. How is this happening? How is this possible? How are they not making payments? 
Well, I mean, they're in deferral still, and they keep extending that deferral for all of these student loans. And this is a slippery slope. I mean, you can get really used to not making a three, four hundred, five hundred dollar payment. On the opposite side, they could be a little bit more optimistic. And Matt, I'll let you be like the pessimist on this. But we saw through COVID and even the deferment of all of these student loans, like Americans' financial situations got better, right? So, like, credit card debt was paid down, savings accounts went up. Um, so, hopefully. People with student loans weren't just spending all of this money and not prepared if these payments or when they do start back up. Of course um, they've been spending <laughs> that money. But not all of them. I mean, because, again, financial situations didn't get worse through through COVID for the majority of Americans. Now, you see all those Teslas on the road? That's a student loan payment right there. Yeah, I, I don't know many people who are having to hold back their payment and then sitting it into another savings account. Where it's just sitting there for when their payments have to start. I know I we tell our happen. clients to do that because I do it. Uh, you're a good planner, Josh. So you tell your clients to yeah, do that. Yeah, we may tell them to do but that. But they're not doing it. They're not doing yeah. it. I'd, ho- I'd hope there's more. I'm, I'm just being more optimistic with this situation. But like Matt and I have talked about it in this office of like, you want to slow down demand, make everyone pay their student loans again. Yeah, it's the, that's what I don't get. So, all right, student loans is tricky, right? Because people who have student loans are like really fired up about them. And so you can't really say anything right or wrong. Like there's no a, really a no-win situation here, right? But if you have a student loan, there's only 14% of the population that does. So it's a really small piece of the overall American population. You know, at, at the end of the day, we probably don't need to forgive them. Um, but that's stop it for another that, day. That's what I wanted to know there real quick. Are we just going to get to the point where the, they say, you haven't been making your payment for so long, we're just forgiving the home loan? Well, that's what they're trying to do. So that's what they're fighting about. Then SoFi suit in the Biden administration. But here's what I don't get about the current administration that's in office and, and the party, the Democratic Party, who's really fighting. For, like Josh hinted at, this is a very inflationary policy because I guarantee the people who aren't paying the four, five hundred, six hundred, eight hundred dollars on their student loan are going out and spending that monthly, uh, maybe even more. They and are or they aren't? They are. Yeah. And most likely, because inflation's still stubbornly high, there's an election next year. And he's the Biden and the Democrats are going to lose the office because inflation's so high. And all they have to do to probably kick inflation is turn turn student loan payments back on. <laughs> like, they're, 14% of the people are going to be upset. Okay. You know, there's, that's 85% of people who are going to be like, okay, good, inflation's slowing down. I'm I happy. don't understand how you're going to be upset if you have to make a payment on something you owe on. Because this is a very <laughs> entitled generation. But it's also very, this is a big political topic, right? We know that it is. But I think indirectly, too, thinking about this, if the student or just out of college now has to make that payment, they have less discretionary income or they don't have enough income to even make their bills then who's the, like who are they going to go to for more money? Mom and dad. Okay, that's less discretionary income than for mom and dad too. Can I get a pause on my mortgage payment? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, you can actually. You still apply for it. They still got all those COVID hardship rules in place. Is that why I get these emails and text messages all day long of these? I, I think they must be scam. Is that what they are? There's like constantly just phishing texts and emails. Oh yeah, I I get weird text messages like, "Do you still own this property on Fifth Street?" That I don't have no clue. Like, text <laughs> me back. I'll I'll sell it for you. All right. Well, based on the numbers of student loans, I'm sure we've angered like 14% of our <laughs> listeners. So uh, let's move on. Let's talk about crypto real quick. Tell us about crypto, man. Um, it's so Matt's corner. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. 
No thanks. You know, it's looking more and more like the government's coming down on crypto. Coinbase was issued a Wells notice by the Securities and Exchange Commission. Both sides are gearing up for a pretty big legal battle there. And then I, I just thought it was funny on the same day that the SEC delivered the Wells notice to Coinbase. They also slapped a bunch of fines for people for, I would call them, influencing crypto prices or promoting. Uh, Lindsay Lohan was one, and then a couple rappers. I don't really know who they are because I don't listen to a lot of rap music. Lil Yachty? Yeah. I think I he was part I, of that. I don't know who that is. But I just thought it was funny. It seems like everything's unraveling in crypto world, though Bitcoin is going higher because, hey, there's a banking crisis, and that's what Bitcoin is supposed to you know, be a store of wealth. And that, actually, though, I mean, we have seen a little increase, right, from Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah, crypto's going up right now. Have but. you checked in on your NFTs, too? No, I haven't. <laughs> what a great headline, though. Coinbase and Lindsay Lohan and just group all of those <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen long-term in crypto, but it seems like the U.S. government's on its way to banning it. And I also think that, like, again, kind of too late. Right, like they're finally coming in and be like, "We're going to regulate after it blew up." Right, but they wanted deregulation, and all these people who wanted deregulation lost all their money, so now they want regulation again, and then they're going to be mad when they regulate it. And then what purpose does it have? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I, uh, I don't. Maybe I don't understand the world we live in anymore. Uh, people just want what's best for them. Yeah. All right, let's get into something also fun. Uh, Matt, you have an RPA recommends for us? I have a not a recommend today. Ooh. So if you've ever shopped at Lululemon online, you probably have gotten retargeted by a company called Bird Dogs. Ooh. Ooh. And I, I bought their pants. They're like khaki pants. Maybe you got retargeted because I was sending you their ads just to mess with you. And then you got retargeted for like the next like three months. Yeah. Well, Josh sends me electric Volvos. So now they retarget me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a whole game we have going on in the office. <laughs> yeah, we do. I'm like, stop sending me now. Now they're going to retarget me. <laughs> And I just put, I'm sending this to you for retargeting purposes. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So these bird dogs, I tried them out. I think they're like $98. Like, it was an attractive price point. Um, but they're basically just like a pair of Dockers. That's and, expensive. Uh, it's not cheap. Dockers, like Mervyn's Dockers? Yeah, they're basically I know everything's dockers. more expensive. Inflation's high. But, like, still, 100 bucks for a pair of pants isn't cheap. So they were, like, fitted Dockers. And I was really disappointed. I... I don't like to leave reviews. I never leave reviews, but I kind of wanted to leave a review on their website just so people know to stay clear. But the worst part about them, um, like the fit was good. Um, the material is okay, but they wrinkle. And you can't be like advertising and competing against Lululemon if your clothes wrinkle. Full disclosure, though, you're a big Lulu guy. I like Lululemon. Yeah, I think they're good. So not a rec- so mine is a not recommend. Stay away from bird dogs. Just buy like Lululemon or something. I see so many ads on them on social media. So that is a good uh, good not recommend. There's so. a lot of social media companies now. I mean, that's where they've gotten their fame is just by advertising on social media, and you just don't know if it's good or garbage. It's yeah. hard to tell. Yeah, it is. You know, a lot of those companies would have disappeared if they let the uninsured depositors of Silicon Valley Bank fail. What do you have for us? I'm gonna recommend a Twitter account. And it's car dealership guy. That's interesting. Have you guys ever heard of him? I've seen him retweeted before in my timeline. Yeah, he's really good. I'm going to give a big shout out to him. He basically like tweets every day about the car industry. So like what's happening with used car sales, um, new car sales, dealerships. And if you're in the market to like buy a car and you kind of want to know like the pulse of the industry, he gives some really, really good information. I think he even has like a newsletter that you can sign up for and he gives you some good data. So if you're all, 
on Twitter, and I think he might be on Instagram too, but car dealership guy, especially if you're just kind of interested in the car market or looking to purchase or sell, really good follow, really good information. If he does listen, this is your your plug. Go yeah, follow that, him. I'll give him a follow. That sounds good. He's good. Uh, my recommend is, I don't know if I've done this yet, but it's probably been a while if I did, would be a clothing line called Public Rec. So following the clothing line that you're following, you had to stay away from I have a go-to one. Public Rec is actually a really nice material clothing. I've actually found it to be very comfortable. And it's not like a lot of the Instagram or social media brands where you get it and you're really disappointed. I've got it and I'm like, you know what? This is actually pretty nice. It's at a very good price point and it's not the same as just wearing a Lulu or something that's mainstream. It's actually something that's a good golf brand, good outing brand, good hiking brand, whatever. But it's not the same as, you know, everything else that's kind of floating around out there. Yeah, they have really nice stuff. I've used it before. Great for golf. Yeah, I like it too. I really like their joggers. I wear those often. I know you guys like Viore. I'll just say, if I had to stay away, it's Viore. It's just not for me. It's it's. I don't believe that it's that high quality for that price point, but that's just, you know, my opinion. <laughs> he had to take a shot at the no, Viore. Hey, Brian, I got a question for you. Let's get a little Little League question. Let's, uh, so I remember when I was playing Little League, the best bats had, were like East in, and I think they started putting BBs in them. Like, I don't know why they did that, but they're like Easton BB bats. That's what all the kids were using. Like, what's the best bat right now? Like, what are all the kids using? There's a lot of brands, but Easton's probably still the top brand. Depends on what your league you're playing in. So Little League has certain requirements for bats. They're called USA certified. And then, like, if you're doing travel ball or you're doing other types of leagues, there's different levels of requirements for the bat. So it probably is more geared towards what league you're playing in is what the best bat is, but Easton is still one of the, if not the top brand out there. Mm-hmm. But to go to give everyone a, a, a cost of a really good bat, like if you want a, a, a higher-end bat, it's the starting point's 350 Wow. Whoa. So they're not cheap. And, wow. And when your kids are growing, you know, their bats last them one year because they're growing so much they need the bigger bat. Is, there, is there a big resale market on the bats because you get like a used bat? I don't know. When we're done with our stuff, we we tend to donate it. So I don't. I've never tried to resell it. Well, uh, you should keep some of those bats for for Matt and I <laughs> when our kids start to play the league. Can you I, donate yeah. them to me? Yeah, <laughs> I, I have where our donations will go then. <laughs> yeah, uh, please. Jeez, three fifty. That's ridiculous. All right, listen to the show. Sorry, guys. Uh, as advisors, we love helping people. Uh, if you have questions on. Buying a home, or if you're thinking about retiring or transitioning, please reach out to us at rpawealth.com on the website. You can actually just go on there and schedule an appointment with any one of us. Um, you can also grab our ebook from Retirement Plan Playbook. You can download it, it talks about retirement, which is also super helpful. Uh, but if you'd like to schedule a meeting with us, please go to rpawealth.com. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Click the following button to be notified when new episodes become available. To get in touch with our team, call us at 909-296-7977 or visit our website at www.rpawealth.com to schedule a complimentary consultation. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RPA Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. 
always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.